Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. You'll know this guy next to me. Uh, the most watched episode, the first episode, my, my man, my brother from another mother, Omar Pinto. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you for this honor and this opportunity. I am pumped. So guys, we're going to have a little bit of a different episode today. We, we, we put out some content. Um, you're, you're thinking, who's this idiot talking on the radio, on the podcast? And I realized that in order for you to buy in um, to what I do and why I love what I do, you have to hear me. You have to, you have to understand why this guy has anything to say. Uh, I've alluded to it a couple times in interviews, but not really touched on it. Um, if you go back and listen to the amazing interview I did with Omar on his podcast, the Share Podcast, uh, you can get a context for it. But what we're going to do today, because um, that was almost, uh, it was a year ago. So uh, we're going to kind of dive into my life. And uh, Omar has been kind enough to come on here and uh, kind of like poke it a little farther, maybe get a little deeper. Um, so thank you for coming on and we'll just kind of get rolling. All right, let's do this. Uh, I am excited. It's, it's always an honor. It, it doesn't have an op. It doesn't have an op. I doesn't have. Wow. Okay. Hello. It doesn't happen often where I get the opportunity to be on someone else's podcast and interview them. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you, you really, here's the cool thing about what we're doing. Okay podcasting, I've been doing it for five years, which means that there's so many things that I have said that are out there and that are always going to be out there. And so that's the, that's the beauty of, of podcasting is that you never know what's, how this particular episode is going to impact someone else's life, uh, um, someone else's life and other people's lives. So it's such a cool it's such a cool opportunity when you get to kind of take that role on somebody else's podcast. So I, I just wanted to thank you for that opportunity, Austin. Thank you for being here. And, and guys, I want to put some sort of context around this. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I'm just sharing my story and I'm getting out of my own head about it. It's extremely vulnerable and open. This is not easy, guys. I've thought about this for weeks um, and I decided this week was a good time for me because there are some you know, there's some skeletons down there. So, you know, my purpose to this is, is for you to, to connect with me. And I've got, I mean, I can't even tell you this week alone, I've got seven or eight messages from people talking about how great the podcast is. And, you know, it really validates um, how much work I put in and, and Chris and everybody and you and all the guests I've had on. So, so we'll kind of start from um, the beginning. I grew up in a, my dad was a doctor when I was younger. We were Coming up, as we were, as I was growing, we we kept getting bigger houses. My my mother and father were um, from Southeast Texas. Um, my dad had a bunch of brothers and sisters. They didn't have a ton of money, but they were they were happy. They they worked outside. So as I, my dad was building his dentist practice. Um, we kept getting you know what you would classify as more money, country clubs, and you know eventually we settled uh, in a house right before my parents got divorced. Um, we, they built the house of their dreams. I lived across the street from NBA players. 
Um, you know, it was $1.4 million on the, on the country club, you know, everything looks great on the surface. Um, but I was uh, a fucking asshole. I was uh, a selfish victim um, who got handed everything and was mad at the world. And I didn't know why, because, you know, from elementary to middle school, school was very easy for me. I'm super smart. I have a photographic memory. Uh, I am dyslexic, um, which is rearing his head farther on in, in my life. Um, but I just was ungrateful. I was a prick. We had a maid. Uh, I treated her like shit, you know, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, I'm just not a good person in my heart um, because for whatever reason, um, people didn't understand me or like school was too easy and I just got in trouble all the time. And I mean, all the time. Um, I never studied for anything and I made A's because I just remember, memorized everything. Um, so kind of what kind of started this whole journey for me is at 17, uh, my parents, uh, we, I remember it, we were at dinner um, at a, a restaurant, I think it was Papado's, and uh, I got in trouble for the millionth time. Um, and my mom said, you know, I think it's best if you leave the school you're in and, and get a fresh start. So this is um, junior year of high school. So imagine a 17-year-old. Um, you know, they talked about boarding school multiple times. It wound up not happening. Um, so what happened was is, uh, my mom said, well, I want to go to Finette. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this rich area. Um, let's do this for Austin, right? That was what I was under the impression that this was for me. Um, so imagine going from you know, 4,000 kids in your school with BMWs to uh, 100 in the middle of the country and they all drove trucks and camo. And, oh. and so it was, it was I, I still think to this moment, it was the greatest gift that was ever given to me, even though I might have not seen it at the time because I am the ultimate salesman. I can wear cowboy boots and be in a duck field or I can wear an Armani suit and walk in a country club. I, I can do it all. I'm a chameleon. Um, so we move out there and it, big change. I mean, very unhappy at first. Um, didn't have any friends. The girls liked me for sure. Cause I was the city boy. Uh, and they were like, who's this kid from Sugarland, Texas? Um, but you know, <laughs> what happened, what happened was through this process, um, my parents set me down like six months in, eight months in and said, we're getting a divorce. Um, and then I think, well, ho hold on. What the fuck? You've never fought. I've never seen you fight. So obviously, Austin Linney is the reason that you're getting divorced. I ruined this family. So that's the story. It, a lot of therapy. But that's the moment that, that had affected, you know, kind of where we got together and, and, and kind of... So at 17 years old, not only am I doing the transition, I'm also saying, you know, I, I broke my family apart. My dad doesn't want to come to my baseball games anymore. Um, you know, so this is what I'm living in. So I'll stop there if you have any questions. That's kind of the genesis no. to the start of where I'm going to go from here. Okay. No. Uh, no. Uh, if you Okay. No questions. Keep going. This is good. So, so what happens is you know senior year I, I i friends still my best friends to this day um you know we're drinking we're playing sports nothing crazy you're living out in the country these guys taught me how to drink I, those those boys in the city don't know shit all right so they taught me how to drink and then through this 
problem, I, I started getting angry. Like, you know, like, how dare you, dad? Like, and, and then my dad gets remarried like 10 months in and then has two stepkids uh, with, you know, not her, but there, she already had kids. And, um, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, like, you know, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I was your first son. Like, you're, you know, and, and, and I'm just like beating him up, like on, on, the, like he's the enemy. Like mom's the winner. Dad sucks balls. My brother went with him. So my brother was six years younger than me. We don't have a relationship. We're working on it. Um, but shit rolled downhill. I'm mad at them. I'm mad at him. So on and so on. So, um, senior year, I graduate. Um, we're doing some stupid shit, you know, partying in fields, the normal stuff, nothing fucking crazy. You're in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cares. Um, so I don't think anything of it. We're drinking everything. So I go off to Blinn. Um, I was 18. Um, I was working at a restaurant by the way. So I'm already working like, you know, I'm not like just fucking around, but I was working at a restaurant and I go to Blinn and I get a, um, an apartment. So an 18 year old with apartment (laughs) three hours away from home with a gas card and everything's paid for. I am living that shit up. I am. If it rained like a drop, I didn't go to school. I'm like, nah, dude, you can't go to school today. It's raining. So, um, long story short, I get wrapped up with this. I get in with this crowd. These, these, these guys that, that, that started introducing me to ecstasy, um, cocaine, um, those things, you know, so at the time I was just drinking, nothing big deal. So I'm partying with these guys. Um, and they had a roommate that they fucking hated. This guy was a prick and he's still a prick. I hate his gut still, but that's neither here nor there, but we wound up switching rooms. Like he takes my apartment because they didn't want to be around him anymore. And I like these guys. So like I'm moving in there. Well, I'm in there for like one day and we're having a party with a bunch of girls and the guy that moved out, I didn't know that he had pulled a shotgun on these guys two nights before in the apartment. And so he comes to the apartment with three other dudes and some guns and long story short, well, not long story short, but basically they bust into the apartment. We're all fucked up. And there's, so there's three dudes, there's three of them and there's some girls there. Well, I'm at, the back of by the porch. And so we wound up getting them outside. Right. And they, they put the guns away and like, but I had a Louisville slugger. Right. And what happened was, and by the way, this was told to me cause I don't remember, but what happened was, he, and I remember cause what my grandfather told me, Jesus, we, uh, he, he pushed a girl, like one of the guys pushed a girl and I fucking laid three dudes out. Like I, I laid them the fuck out, like all of them. With a bat? No, no, with my fucking fist. Like, I, like two of them or something like that. Like I, I hit two of the guys that pushed the girl. Like it, it was, it was I was like, fuck you. Like, what are you doing here? Well, wh- at that time, as I'm walking back to the uh, apartment, the other dude, the, the old roommate, spears me in the back, like lays me out and takes my baseball bat. That's a Louisville wooden slugger in proceeds to beat me the fucking i was unconscious so they broke every bone on the right side of my face um my eyelid was down to here and then i have if you if i shaved my i have a hole in my lip this big so every bone on the right side of my face was broken so um as i come out of consciousness i'm wearing a yellow abercrombie sweater 
right? It's funny. I've never, I never told this story to anybody. Dude, uh, <laughs> I can't believe I hadn't heard this story. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny, what you put, it's, funny, it's funny what you put away. So I have a yellow Abercrombie <sighs> sweater on, right? And it's, blo- it's red. The motherfucker is red. So the cops come and he goes, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to call an ambulance? I said, so of course it's me, an investor from the beginning. How much is it going to be? <laughs> he says, 500 bucks. I said, no, I'm good. Uh, so the guys drove me to the hospital and dropped me off. Well, my mom gets a phone call. She thinks I'm drunk driving. So she's in Southeast Texas with my brother. And this is 2 a.m. So she drives through the night, walks. I hear her before she even gets to the room that I'm in. What the fuck is your problem, you motherfucker? Are you, you know, like, are you drunk driving? I didn't raise you this way. And then she turns the corner and sees me. And she's like, holy shit. But here's what's funny. And this is why I love my mom, who's crazy as fuck. Trained by the CIA, I think. Five three scares the shit out of me. So they switched my charts. They switched my charts with somebody else in there who had got in a drunk driving accident because of Xanax. So she's reading the chart and she's like, I told you, motherfucker, like you did this shit. And then the nurse goes, ma'am, 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 ma'am. It's not your son's chart. (laughs) So all this is going on, right? And at the moment, I've never seen myself in the mirror. So I'm like, bro, I'm going back to school tomorrow. Like, what the fuck are we, why are you even here? And she goes, why don't you shuffle your ass to the bathroom? (sighs) Then you look at yourself in the mirror and the entire right side of your face is black and this big and your eyelids down to here and you've got stitches everywhere. And so needless to say, um, I remember bits and pieces of this because I was asleep for like three days straight. Um, but I remember her driving in the car back to Southeast Texas and calling the parents of the kid that did this. It was like, I'm going to drive to Houston, knock on your door and beat the fuck out of your kid. Like I'm going to hurt his, like she was, dude, she was going to town. And so long story short, I go back to Beaumont and for three days, I just, I remember like my uncle coming like bits and pieces, but I don't remember much. Um, so I kind of come out of it. Um, my dad's a doctor. Thank God I had, you know, emergency surgery, replaced my orbitable. Uh, I still have a broken sinus canal. Um, but what people don't tell you about something like that, that happens to you is the mental anguish, right? I was making, I was making good grades in school. I was happy where I was. And, um, you know, your life is stopped and you're mad, you're mad at them. Um, but you know, when I talked to the doctor, um, he said, like, you're lucky you're German. He's like, because anybody else that would have put in a wheelchair for sure. Um, you know, so you, you're hard headed. Uh, and then my grandfather, I remember this. He's since passed away, of course. But uh, my great my grandfather said, um, so, son, uh, next time there's like more dudes than you are, like, maybe just walk away. Like, it's not so important. And so, uh, you know, I thought that was funny. You know, he's uh, 80 years old telling me that. Um, but if you want to unpack any of that crazy story, because I don't think I've ever shared that story with anybody. So, Dude, like it is when you talk about PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder, when you talk about a traumatic experience, so incredibly powerful. 
where it's interesting because there's a lot of stories that you talk about. Like there's these stories that come up, like one big story, like the, the, what we worked on was this belief system that it was, I was the reason that my parents got a divorce. Meanwhile, this horrific traumatic event never, never surfaces until we're in the middle of a podcast episode. And I just go, no, 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 just keep going. Right. And all of a sudden here, it just kind of, it makes its way to the surface. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much. And I'm going to elaborate. No, no, I'm going to elaborate on that on the backside of this because you're, you're alluding to it. Okay. Why we're so perfect. Okay. All right. Well then why don't you just take it from here? Cause that's where I'm going. So it's funny now that I look back and reflect because I tried to start college again two times over. Mm-hmm. And as I'm saying this, I'm having a breakthrough as we're saying this, the, the, the promises I started breaking to myself was I wasn't ready to go back to school. Mm. I had never dealt with it. The, the legal battle was still going on. I had to pay for my own insurance. Um, we needed the money. I needed the fucking cash to pay for the hospital bills and all that stuff. Uh, so I try to go back to school thinking it's the right thing to do at Lamar and Beaumont. I'm miserable. And, you know, I guess I haven't given that story as much weight as, as it, as it means to me. And it's like, you, You just, you, you, these things happen and you think that they don't impact you the way they do, but it really looks at something like that along with my parents' divorce. And it's like, you know, that's really the foundation for like the destruction that happened for the next 10 years. And because you sweep it under the rug, because you cover it with band-aids or alcohol or drugs or whatever the fuck you want to cover Netflix, you're not addressing the fact that in that moment you were a victim regardless of what role you played into it but but you can choose for it to be a, a crutch or you can choose for it to be a, a liftoff point to to be better and you know I tried college again and and I'm lying to myself because I thought it's what my parents wanted me to do I thought that's what I should have done and all along what I wanted to do was just run away from that that moment, that, that, that moment that happened that I don't realize, you know, I had to leave my apartment. I had to leave my friends. I had to leave college where I was doing, you know, I just started, I was a freshman. Um, and, you know, as I look back, you know, those, the failures at college, I think played a real role into my, to my drug addiction. And, you know, you start making money in the restaurant business and you think that money is going to solve the problem because you don't have it. So I'm making money. Uh, I'm really good at my job. So people look up to me and, and you don't look back and realize um, these moments that played a role, small or bigger and different, um, how much they, they, they run everything. You know, same as your story with glasses when you were young, you know. So I'll just leave the floor for a minute so I can collect. Yeah, no, really. It's funny because I, I, you know, the story changes. The more I tell my story, the more it changes. 
the more power those particular stories lose. And in, in the course of sharing, in the course of being vulnerable, uh, allowing someone else to hold space for you, allowing someone else to intuitively guide you through this. The, there's a, a healing that happens as you tell the story. I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, like you said about the glasses. Like, it's funny because I remember after sharing that and thinking to myself, I might not share this again because I don't think this is it. I don't think this is it. I think for whatever reason, I've chosen to hold on to this story because the other one's more painful. And there's this idea. Oh, that's powerful. Oh, I saw I saw a penny drop. I saw a penny drop. And that's all I kept thinking as you were sharing. I go, this story that I tell myself, this story that I, that I talk about and I hold this blame for my parents is not this, the real story. The real story is I am so angry. I'm so disappointed. I'm so frustrated. I'm so whatever. I'm, these are just branch statements right so it allows you allows your brain to kind of connect with this and in this moment but there is this idea that i have these emotions that are inside of me that are so powerful so strong attached to a story that's so vulnerable that i'd much rather tell this other story because this one does not make me feel like the other one that's a great point. And, you know, we'll take it from there. You know, you, you know, I grew up, call it what you want. I grew up in the restaurant business. I mean, I did. Like, that was where I learned. And there's drugs, a lot of drugs in the restaurant business. It's just part of the game. Um, so I'll tell the other story that's even before the big drug story. Um, I was in Austin. I was young. I was working at Cheddar's. I was drinking a bunch. And when I mean a bunch, like we would shut the mother effer down after a 12 hour day. They would even keep the bar open for us two hours after, even though they weren't supposed to. Uh, so I'm drinking a bunch. I'm in North Austin, Round Rock, and I live near UT, which is probably 15, 20 minutes. This was 15 years ago. Um, Long story short, don't remember this much either, but I, I remember the bits and pieces. And I'm about to share something I've never shared, and it's super awkward. I'm even thinking about it, freaking out. Um, so apparently, this is what happened. I drove home. I got about 10 minutes from the uh, bar, the bar, so not even close to home. And I fell asleep at the wheel. I drove my car through a front yard, mm. tore down a mailbox. Um, freaked out as the guy jumped out of his house and apparently my dumbass um, threw him my ID. I don't know why. Um, and then I run. So I run. I've got 300 bucks in my pocket. I just worked a double. Um, I get picked up from a guy. I get flagged down a dude. I said, hey, where do you need to go? He said, I need to go... Um, what I didn't tell, and I've never shared this. This is so awkward and so ridiculous for me to share it. 
I shit on myself when I wrecked. <laughs> I just remembered. So <laughs> But wait, it gets way worse. God, it gets way worse. This... Oh it gets way God. worse. It gets way worse. So then I get in this stranger's car. Oh the shit on me. And he's a big black dude and he's like, "Bro, you smell like shit." And I go, "Yeah, that's cuz I shit on myself." <laughs> best story ever (laughs) wait it gets so much better wait for it so so he takes me home when i get out of the car he punches me in the face and steals my 300 bucks so he punches me in the face dude wait just wait bro it gets so much better steals my 300 bucks so i get in my apartment right no money shit on myself I, I drop all my clothes in the shower, put water on them. I go to bed. So I wake up the next morning. I have a double the next day, full day of work. I thought it was a dream, bro. Like, I was like, ah, like my truck's in the parking lot. No big deal. Like, why is my fucking clothes in the shower? Like, I, I don't like whatever. I got to go to work. Well, then I, you know, the typical, <laughs> you go, well, maybe it wasn't a dream. So I, 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 you know, when you like, you put, pull the blinds down, you like look outside for your truck in the parking lot and you're like, Oh, that can't be good. Yeah. That can't be good. good. Where's my, where's my money? Oh, my money's gone. Fuck. That really did happen. Son of a bitch. Okay. All right. Regroup, regroup time. I call somebody. I'm like, Hey, I need you to work my morning shift. I'm not going to be able to make it in. I'll tell you later. Well, at that time I get a call from the police. Exactly. I was waiting car, for that. Have my car at the impound. So I'm like, fucking son of a bitch. So I got to go down to the police station and explain this shit. So I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? So I told the dude, I am 20 at the time. And I'm like, what do I tell this damn detective? So I told him that I fell asleep at the wheel and freaked out and left. Right. So buy it, don't buy it, whatever. He uh, said, okay, if that's the story you're sticking with, like we can't prove it. It is what it is. He goes, your car's over here. You can get it. No ticket. This is what he said. Okay. So I have to like track down my car in South Austin. I wound up working that night, of course, because I'm a, that's what I do. But, but, but sure enough, three years later, Ticket shows up, mm. evading the scene of an accident, oh. all this stuff, and so I had to pay like four thousand bucks. But thank God, got out of a DUI. Um, not happy about it, not proud of it. I just want to share it. So if anybody else can share the story, because that shit is wild. That I can't wait to take that clip and post. It. <laughs> dude, dude, <laughs> post the one where it says, "I shit myself." <laughs> Dude, that you want to talk about open and vulnerable? Uh, you want to talk about open and vulnerable, dude? What about dude. the guy? What about the guy's house, dude? I, hey, what are you gonna do, bro? Yeah, you don't even know what happened to the guy's house, do you? No, it's like and I that just guy, walked away. Here's what's great: that guy is still telling that fucking story. He's oh, like, I'm dude, sure. He's, he's at a he's at a barbecue. He's like, man, this fucking son of a bitch. He threw me his ID. 
He's like, he's still telling the story. <laughs> you're lucky he didn't sue your ass. Yeah. You're, you're, he had you're, your ID. Dude. Okay. So, so alcohol, it's a hell of a drug. <laughs> alcohol is a hell of a drug. So, so in this time, we're transitioning into cocaine, which you're extremely familiar with from your past. Very much. Uh, it's a fun drug. It's it really is. great, especially back in then, uh, especially with somebody that had ADD, especially with somebody that plays the victim. Cocaine's awesome. Oh, um, yeah. I'm not glorifying it, but that's what you're thinking in the moment when you're doing it. Ah, oh, I feel fucking supercharged. So we start Yeah, that lasts for a couple of, that, costs, that lasts for the first you know, few times you do it. Yeah. And then you spend the rest of the time chasing that shit. That's just to clarify. Well, clarify the cocaine. No, you chase the cocaine until you move to meth. <laughs> and that's when, <laughs> and that's when y- your shit gets real. Because right. cocaine's right. like kindergarten. All right. So I'm working at Cheddar's in Beaumont. And come to find out, after a couple years, I wound up finding out I have the two biggest drug dealers in Southeast Texas that work in my restaurant. Like no bullshit. So they would sell. I mean, I can't even tell you how much drugs would move hands just between the staff. So how it starts is, Hey, there's this fucking drug. It's like cocaine. But if you do this one little line, you'll be up for 24 hours and you can work and it's crazy and it's great. And then if you do a line, like, I don't know, an inch long, you'll be up for like two days. And I'm like, Hey, this is fucking great. Let's do this shit. So what would happen is, we would work a double on Friday. We would get out at 10. We'd go to the bar. By the way, our managers were partying with us. That's a whole other story. Oh, come on. Like, yeah, that's, no, but a, that's, that's what, a no-brainer. No, but that's here, a I'll tell you, I'll tell you I worked this, at a restaurant, no, dude. But I'll tell you this quick Everybody story. parties. No, but I'll tell you this quick story. I used to party with them till 9 a.m. drinking uh, whiskey with them. And they would leave to go to work. And I'd have to go in an hour later. And I would call and go, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it in today. <laughs> I go, what the fuck are you going to do? I was just drinking whiskey with you like an hour ago. He's like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but so you start doing it on Friday, right? Ah, I'm just going to do it on Friday. Not, not a big deal. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. You know, I'm just going to do this. Well, Friday turned into Saturday. Saturday turned into Sunday. And then I moved in um, to an apartment with this guy who was the biggest drug dealer in Southeast Texas. Um, and he was a hurt human being. Now that I'm looking back on it, we used to do meth and he used to play like yellow lead better from Pearl jam. I mean, like, I, you know, it was the thing, but, um, dude, you used to come into our apartment on a Tuesday and we would be cleaning that motherfucker from top to end because we're just strung out. <laughs> like, you know, we're just cleaning, we're cleaning. And so really, um, I can think of a couple stories here and there that really make you reflect. And as I'm, Saying it, it's one of the ones that have stuck with me more than anything. And I'm sure anybody that will listen to this on your podcast or your group or anybody that's been through this would understand this. Um, Fast forward to a birthday. Um, It's my birthday. I'm supposed to hang out with my parents. I haven't slept all night, obviously. Um, You know what? Actually, I remember it was fucking Christmas Day. Excuse that. It was Christmas Day. I'm sitting at my desk watching NBA on my computer supposed to go see my parents thinking of the lie I can come up with because I'm so strung out. Um, you know, we're smoking it out of light bulbs. Um, you know, we're, I mean, throwing parties. I mean, everything you could think of. I've never, I never stuck a needle in myself. I, I won't do it. It's not my thing, but, but, but I love this shit because it was the first time in my life that it made me feel normal. I felt laser focused. 
I felt like the ADD stopped. I felt like these people cared about me. Um, you know, they, they, they wanted to hear what I had to say and everybody else around me didn't, you know, my parents, my mom, they didn't care about, you know, what, um, what, what I, what I thought that at least that's what I told myself. So, I mean, it really is one of the low, points. <laughs> one of the low points, um, when you're sitting at your desk and you're hating yourself, which I'm sure you've had that moment. Mm-hmm. And you can't even go see your family because you're so strung out on Christmas Day, right? I mean, these are the moments that you look back on and you go, whoa, like shit is off the rails. Like, and that wasn't the low point. <laughs> There's two more. Um, what happened was, I want to say it was around my birthday. I think it was around my birthday. Um, I stayed up for 10 days straight. Oh. Um not only did I stay up for 10 days straight, I took 40 Xanax that week too to try to go to bed. So you're, so you're riding this wave of like, I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. And I started seeing rabbits everywhere, like rabbits like running across the road everywhere, but they obviously weren't there. So I lost uh, 20 to 25 pounds. I didn't eat for like seven days. And my ex-girlfriend saw me. And my pants were like falling off my waist, like three sizes too big. And she goes, you, you, you fucking look like shit. Like you look horrible. And uh, I stopped that day. I quit that day. I, I went back to my apartment. I packed up all my fucking shit. And I moved to Austin the next day. Because I realized that I had to remove myself from that environment. Because I was not strong enough at the time to to do it so i did what i needed to do to remove myself from that toxic environment environment mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. and uh that still wasn't the low point um was the was the closet was the low point so long story short i go to austin for a little bit i get sober i clean up a little bit i'm still drinking but the drugs have stopped i can't even smell you know cocaine or meth like right at this point like it's really um makes me sick what I moved back to my mom's house. I'm like 23, 24, I think. Um, I was working at the time, but I was making good money. I didn't have much bills, but I was just treating it like a hotel, treating her like shit, coming and going as I please. Uh, and I came home and um, um, she had my shit out on the, on the step. And she said, this, before this, my dad had cut me off completely as well. No insurance, no car. Um, so I, I, I picked up my bag. Um, I had no idea where I was going to go. Um, and I cried, I cried for like three fucking hours. Um, and, uh, I have a friend, um, one of my oldest friends who is literally like my older brother. Like I've, that's how I think of him. His name's Terry Folsom. I love him to death. Um, he, he picked me up and he said, uh, second time he's picked me up by the way. He picked me up in Austin the first time when I wrecked my car and I had to move back the first time. So he's been there for me many a times. Um, and he said, okay, pussy, like get your shit together. <laughs> like we're going to figure it out. Like you're, like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to figure it out. So basically what happened was we drove to my buddy's brother's house. with my best friend, my best man at my wedding. And we're drinking margaritas. And <coughs> Terry says, listen, I got a, I got a guy, which wound up being my ex-girlfriend's 
my girlfriend at the time's dad, who was a construction guy. He said, listen, he'll give you a job. It's no bullshit. Like you need to fucking show up. You need to work. None of this fucking crap. He said, he'll pick you up at 5 a.m. He'll drop you off at 6 p.m. That's how it works. I don't, you're laying tile and you're laying brick in the middle of July. Figure it out. So I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything. I had a clothes and that's it. So at that time, my buddy's brother, which I still need to call him and thank him. He said, listen, bro, there's three guys living in this house. Again. We know where you for you to live. You have no fucking money. Um, he said, but I've got this closet underneath the stairs. So I threw down a single mattress and I slept in this probably 50 square feet uh, in the closet. I slept in the closet for three or four months. Uh, I lived off of $40 a month, ham sandwiches and ramen noodles. And I worked about 60 hours a week, maybe 70, give or take. I didn't do shit. Um, I saved up enough money to buy my old, uh, my grandma's old Explorer so I could get a car so I could go get my bartending job back so I could start making real money again and get an apartment and, and so on and so on. So, you know, for me, as I sit here today at, at 37, 38, however the fuck old I am, that for me was the, dude, <laughs> what happened? Like, how did we get here? You were living across the street from NBA players on a country club, and now you're in a 50-square-foot closet eating ham sandwiches when you had an expense account at a country club. The real question the real question is what compelled you to take that offer? I'm going to be, you were in the restaurant business. You were making money. Your buddy picks you up. You're look, you're fucking mangled dog shit. Your dad's cut you off. Your mom just kicked you out. Okay. And he says, you can live in my closet. You're going to have a construction job, laying tile, laying brick. You're going to be picked up at five, dropped off at six. And you're going to make $40 a month. That can't no, no, be right. I, no, I ate on $40 a month. I kept my expenses oh. low. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you, you kept yeah. yourself. Okay. I didn't you have, should... I didn't have the restaurant job at this time. I had nothing. Oh, no, no. I understand yeah, that. Yeah. I understand that. What were you making a month at the construction gig? Mm, I think I was making probably like, Maybe 500, 600 bucks a week, maybe something like that. I mean, maybe, okay. maybe 400, something. So it started couple, making some good money. Yeah. A couple grand a month. Okay. You're not paying rent. No. You're stockpiling as much cash as you can mm -hmm. to try and get your car back. Uh, no, I didn't have a car. I mean, uh, trying to buy the. So my, yeah, my. To uh, save some money God, God love my grandma, who's the best person in the world, maybe pay for it still. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's, here's, this is what the listeners right, need to hear. And this is anyone who's struggling with, with drug addiction, right? How important is it? Or what, let's not even say is it. Was it for you to have every bridge burnt before you could actually surrender? So two things. This is going to be great. And I want to share this because I hope your listeners listen to this too because I know where they come from. My mom told me this years later. She said, Austin, I cried every day for hours having to make this decision. But I realized that the only way 
for you to truly be set free was to hit rock bottom. And if I continue to enable you, you know, and she, and, and as I look back, it's the greatest, I was a stubborn motherfucker. It was the greatest gift that she's ever given me to be able to go out and impact. And I know that for my parents, that was the hardest thing. Somebody like me, they call me the rhino for a reason. Somebody that is bullheaded as I am, it's the only way. It's the only way. There's no other way that that would have happened. When you are literally staring at the back of a wall, the true definition of ass wall. I mean, talk about pride, ego, everything. And the story doesn't end here. That's what's crazy because I'm so fucking stubborn. I become an alcoholic. But but what I'm saying is, it's funny. I interviewed a kid yesterday. Uh, he's 25. He's a fucking rock star. And you know what's crazy? He had to sleep in a closet for six months too. And I'm like, there are certain people that, 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 that dollar that you give somebody, that 20 bucks that you give them to get high or, or get booze, and you know it's the wrong thing to do, you're not helping them. You're not. I mean, how many times have you told that to the, your audience? I can't even. I can't even. I can't even tell you how many times I've told someone. You got to hold the motherfucking line, baby. Tell yeah. Them. The best yeah. thing you can do is give them absolutely nothing. Nothing. And you're giving absolutely. them. Absolutely. You have to understand that you have to live in gratitude. No, you're giving them a gift. You're giving them their life yeah. back. It's that, so easy. The, the it's gift so- of desperation is, that, is just that. It is a gift. When I have nowhere else to turn, I'm forced to go within. If you truly seek ultimate happiness and ultimate freedom and lightness you must surrender it's the only option in life universe the corona whatever the fuck you want to call it will teach you the motherfucking lessons you just have to be open and seeking to understand them so let's talk about the the continuum here because here's what happens and you know, another great gift, another great gift is listening to your mother, listen to your mother tell you how she cried every night making that decision, you know, listening to my father when I had made amends and I got sober and he could finally have a conversation with me, you know, not the jackrabbit, mm-hmm. you know, when he could finally have a conversation with me and he says, you know, the only way I got through it was I just had to imagine that you had already, that you were already dead. Mm. That you'd already that you were already gone, and my only solace was to focus on you as a child, because that's what that's what brought me joy was was thinking about my happy little boy, you know. So, I those those beautiful, horrific, heartbreaking messages that we get from our parents, you. You don't know how much you hurt somebody until you know how much you hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of catalysts here. Okay. So you you're finally you're you're sleeping in the closet, you save the money, you buy the explorer, you get back into the game. Back. I'm making I'm making fourteen hundred to seventeen hundred a week. Okay. So now you're back to making fucking crazy money, dope fiend money. Mm-hmm. And what? But I'm, but I'm still, still from 17 telling myself, 
that, that I'm not good enough. I'm a victim. I'm the reason my parents got divorced. So really that, what, whatever you want to call it is the root of a lot of the aggression. Uh, I mean, that's, there's really no better word for it. I was an aggressive, I was nice, but I was an aggressive, nice asshole. Right. But when you think about the anger, when you think about the anger and the bitterness and the rage, Mm -hmm. who was that really directed towards? Myself. Because I, and I'm still working on it, I don't think that I am good enough. And it wasn't until I get around people that see something in me that I don't see in myself. And all they're doing is waiting for me to see it in myself. Because what people need to understand is that in order to truly be the best version of yourself, it doesn't start anywhere else but you is simple if you are the best version of yourself if you are in a crisis to get to the next best version of yourself every time every week every day then that will permeate in every part of your life and i was loud i was aggressive i thought because i worked 100 hours a week that i was better than everybody else but what i was really doing is by being loud and aggressive in the loudest one in the room i'm hiding the insecurities that I am broken like a fucking inside. And it's really easy. You know, the, the people that I respect the most are the ones who are quiet. Like, cause they're just sitting there knowing that they've got it figured out. Like they are, they're so comfortable in who they are. And so for me, there's this internal struggle where you got to be loud. You got to be aggressive. You got to come in like a Mack truck because, because if, if you don't, maybe they'll pick apart, maybe they'll see you. Like maybe they'll see who you really are. There's that. There's that. There's definitely because we all have some of that. But you know, something just keeps coming into my into my thoughts <sighs> here. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much how much you can attribute all this behavior to this need to punish yourself. I knew this was gonna get a coaching call on my podcast. <laughs> Uh, so then, then the question is coach, what am I punishing myself for? That is the question. And I think about the rhino when I think about the rhino and I'm run, I'm loud, I'm loud and I'm fucking, I'm, I am, um, in your face and I'm aggressive I'm looking for something. I'm looking to be seen. Mm. And it's the part of me that wants to be seen that is that very aggressive, loud, rhino, strong, impervious. From my parents. I'm I'm looking for a fight. All the time. I mean, I, I was for sure. All the time. Anything. Just set me off, please. You know. Cause then I right. can show you right. that I'm, that I'm more aggressive and, I, and I'll go harder than you, you know? Um, cause that's easy, right? It's not easy to sit with yourself. You know, it's not easy to look at yourself in the mirror, you know? And you know, there's so many distractions out there. It's, it's really easy to, to not be focused on the true issues. And I think that's, 
where I lived for many, many, many years. And I'm not perfect now. I mean, I have a massively addictive personality. That's why I love Ironman training. But I think I'd rather turn my focus towards eating right and <laughs> Ironman than the other stuff. Okay, so look, there's there's so much here. There's so much here, right? But we have to start kind of getting into the comeback. Okay. So let me finish it off and then we'll go to the comeback. All right. So fast forward, basically, uh, I drank, mm, I probably started at like 10 AM, maybe 1030. I would drink probably a bottle of vodka almost every two days, give or take, maybe, maybe a little more whiskey. I, I romanticize alcohol. I love it. I still make drinks for people. It's what I did for 20 years. I was a bartender. Um, you know, I was a, a functioning alcoholic. Let's just call it what it was. I got everything done I needed to do, but I, I drank a bunch. Um, and I remember um, kind of the breaking point for me was two things happened at the same time. I finally got a GM job and I thought like uh, these kids are going to, these kids are going to, they're going to, they're going to listen to me. It's the worst restaurant. I mean, I'm passionate. They're going to work for me. And uh, I had 10 days in a row of two people calling out. I was working, um, third, I was working 10, I was working 120 hours a week and, uh, the restaurant was failing. <laughs> I was punching shit. I was sleeping in my office. I was crying every day, understanding, picking kids up. So they would come to work. I was drinking. So this was 45 minutes away. I was drinking every on the, on the way home, waking up, going, doing it again. Um, and I broke down and I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't lie to myself. Um, and uh, in that moment, in that exact time, my, my dad told me um, that a reason they got divorced. And, and that was like, holy shit. It wasn't me. It was something to do with them. And I'm thinking to myself like, okay. Like the story that I told myself for 20 years, the, the, the fuel, the chip on my shoulder, everything is a fucking farce. <laughs> and that's when I went on your podcast and that's when I'm like, what does it all mean? Right. And that day I drank a lot and I was broken. And then that next morning I meditated for like the first time ever. And that was like the break. It was like the, and I'm not saying I stopped drinking. That's not what I'm saying. But it was kind of like the, it was like, okay, wait, this man held on to this burden for 20 years while I beat the shit out of him. Like, if that's not ultimate unwavering love, I don't know what it is. Same deal with your father, right? It's really... Now, wait a minute. You, you, you fast forward in, in that story. Because you're not gonna let me get away with it. You're not gonna let me get away with it. Because the listeners are like, you know, I, you know, they're like, "Fuck, oh, rushed him." All right, so we're gonna back up for a minute, right? Because this, this is, is why super, you're here. Super important. Yeah, this is why you're here. This is super important. This is super important because this is why you've been punishing yourself your your whole life. Okay, you you've been abusing yourself in one way or another and the only way that you are able to soothe yourself from this this this, this despising yourself hating yourself blaming yourself 
you know, it's my fault. So I work my ass off or I take whatever job I need to, or I, you know, defend people in a, you know, and pick fights or whatever the case may be. And, and there's a part of me that's, that's also very angry with my father at the same time. So I, I take the blame, you take the blame for the divorce, but you also are fucking pissed off at your dad because he moved on. He abandoned us. He moved on. He gets married. He's got these two kids, right? And what about us, right? So there is this, this belief system that he is the reason why the divorce, you, the, you caused it, but he left. And so that's where all your anger is. And then your dad calls you. And actually, it was a different story. I don't even know if you want to talk about it. No, fucking I- do it. No, no, fucking do it. Dude, I'm open. I don't give a shit. I, look, guys, he, he's right. I fast forwarded like I cleaned it up real quick. I was a prick. <laughs> I was a prick again. <laughs> Omar read the text. So... You know, it wasn't as quick. Did you send me a text? No, I said, no, I said you read the text that I sent to him. But like, oh, yeah. But like, yeah. I was still the victim. Like, I, I hadn't got over it. Uh, it wasn't until your podcast, like four days later, that I had the epiphany. And to be honest with you, and just so everybody knows it doesn't happen like that, I actually didn't release it for three months later. Um, I remember the day, it was March 2nd at 8 30 in the morning. I was in Canyon Lake, Texas. I, I released it. I cried and, and it took me three months to really forgave myself and, and move on from that. So it, when somebody gives you the truth, it doesn't mean that it happens like that, guys. It, it just, you can sit with it. You know, that's the whole deal. Sit with it, lean in, do the work, hire a coach. Thank God for Omar. So on and so on, because you're, 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 you're not understanding where, where the emotions are coming from and you're, you're, you're lashing out because you, it's so much easier <laughs> to not look how, at yourself. How has that, how has that moment, because there's so many pivotal moments, not just in your life, but in everybody's lives, but this is a huge moment of relief. Like as there's so many times in our lives where the pivot is pain, and in this particular case, the pivot is the realization that I can, I can give myself a break, that it, that it wasn't my fault, and there's some relief. How has that impacted your life, and in which direction did it send you because of it? Like a rocket ship straight towards lightness. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's really odd. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, a coincidence that six months after I stopped drinking, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that I feel good. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, and and the thing is, is people need to understand something. It's not that it's been roses. (laughs) I started a business last year. I lost 25 grand. I got laid off a month ago. It's not been fucking roses, but what it has been, is it's allowed me to bet on myself because, because I'm, I'm owning what I did in it. I, I loaned up to it. And, and, and the easiest way I can describe it, and I have it still saved, it felt like 
50 pounds of ball peen, you know, the ball and chains, like on your feet, like remove themselves. That's really, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was outside of work. I had a conversation with my dad and I took ownership for my part, which I had never done. I'd never done in, in, you know, fast forward to two weeks ago. Um, I had another experience, um, where, this is big. I don't even know why it came. Um, I've not been a fan of my stepmom. We've been fighting for 20 years, give or take. Um, call it what you want. Call it selfish. Call it childish. Whatever the hell. We just don't see eye to eye. And I've kind of been a prick would be an understatement. Uh, I haven't talked to her in like 15, 10 years. I, uh, I wrote her a text and I apologized. And I said that... Um, regardless of how I view you, regardless of who you are as a person, I don't, you don't deserve this anger directed. It's not even directed at you. <laughs> it's directed at somebody else, but, but you're an easy target because, you know, in my eyes, you took my father away from me when really my bad attitude took my father away from me. Mm. Wow. Ownership. Extreme. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that extreme ownership came because now I'm remembering the full story. Your father became transparent about the the real reason why they got divorced that neither your father or your mother told you about. You chose to create your own story. You chose to take ownership for it and you chose to blame your father for it. And it turns out it wasn't your dad's fault. Your mom had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And when that landed on you, it changed everything. Changed everything because there are things that happen in our life. There are moments in time. And then there's the, the, the story that we create. And it's so much easier to get caught up in the story because the story, it almost lifts us up because, oh, look at me. Look at me, my drama. Look how cool my story is, right? Uh, you know, poor, pitiful victim, you know, me. And it's so easy to go there um, because the people that you really need to surround yourself will tell you to fuck off. <laughs> like, uh, dude, I refuse to have negativity or excuses around me right now. I, I cannot handle it because the victim mentality is so ingrained in American society because, you know, you see somebody, you know who I get inspired by? Like people like Diego Corza, who is from Peru and made him and he's a millionaire because he rode a bike because he couldn't get a license. And like, I'm like, and I'm, you're bitching because you're sitting at home watching Netflix and everything's handed to you. Like, because it's so easy to go there. And then it's so easy to call your friend and go, see, look what he did to me. Look what he did to me. Yeah, I know. But what did you do? Like when every marriage falls apart or every relationship with a parent or child, stop yourself and go, what the fuck did I do? What, what, what ownership did I have in this moment? And, and it wasn't until I took extreme ownership of who I was and what I played in that role, regardless of the story I told myself, it wasn't until that, that I was set free. Um, and you know, I, I look back and I think the thing that really hits home with me is 20 years. I mean, 20 fucking years. And I, I implore everybody. And if you get anything out of this podcast, ask yourself what story you've been telling yourself. 
Is it real or did you make it up? It's a simple question. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying. What layers did you add on it? What Are you taking ownership of your story? Oh, you got laid off. Big fucking deal. Go get another job. Do something different. There, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That's a tough one. Thousand percent. So. That's a tough one. But 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 I, I got laid like, off. Let's just clear that. Let's just clear that. That's it. All no, a hundred percent. But I got laid off, and I I understand. Started started a podcast. I'm learning Spanish. You know, so like all all I'm saying that was insensitive. I apologize. But what I'm saying is no no no, and it's 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 no, just bringing light. But that was a little insensitive. All I'm saying is life's a choice. That's all I'm saying. So that is true. Good, bad, or indifferent. You know, either you're riding high or you're riding low. You could still be happy in, in, in between. You know, I, I've met many millionaires who are miserable. I've met many people who make 30 grand a year who are happy as hell. So it's a choice. There's a message. There's a me- especially during this time, there's a message for everyone because there's people that are financially prepared for this. And so they're able to work on themselves during this time and mm-hmm. they're able to f- either work on their relationships or recognize, you know, what changes they need to make in their lives, whatever the situation may be. There are some of us that, yes, because of the financial situation, this is an opportunity in history where everyone has to slow down and look inside. Um, And then for people who are struggling economically, there's a message in there as well. It's not about being cold or heartless and they can't just go out and look for a job. They're still forced to go inside. They're still forced to say, where did I go wrong? What can I do differently? What changes can I make in my life? What normal do I not want to go back to? Who do I need to reach out to right now? Because I don't have a choice. Yeah. And what potential positives can come from me risking my 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 own vulnerability in this time because i have to because i don't have a choice because i have a family because i have to provide mm-hmm. so I, ha- I must to i'm gonna have to do something and i think that that is where within the the greatest amount of adversity comes the greatest opportunities and we know that just because of your story yeah and i think i think the thing that i'm kind of harping on right now is is i think what everybody's realizing is is that is that how much their identity is wrapped up in their, as, as my buddy said yesterday in a podcast, their paycheck or their job. It's not, yeah. really, it's not really who you are. And, and so what I'm going to talk about here for the next couple of minutes, because I want to respect everybody's time and we'll get out of here, is, is how you rebuild this mind and in, in, in what's happened. You, you, you hire people like Omar. Um, you get surrounded in masterminds uh, with people that are better than you, that have been there, done that. I interviewed two multimillionaires uh, on Monday, they lost everything way worse than I did. So, and they built it all back, but I'll, tr- I'll, I'll give you an insight to me and I'm a little different and I'll describe it. This is real. This is not a joke. This happened. I- I'm being hundred percent honest for about after I figured out about the dad thing and, and for about seven months from 3am, 2am, 12 o'clock at night, Six in the morning, whatever you want to call it, Gary V was in my ears. And I mean, literally, this dude, I listened to all of his content. And, and, and I don't need to listen to it all now. 
But for that moment in time, he was telling me like, dude, stop playing the victim, go get a job, figure it out. And then like, so I'm rebuilding myself as I'm cycling. You're stacking small wins. You're, you're starting a business. You know, you're still in the, I'm still in the fucking restaurant business. I want to get out so bad. I wanted to get out for like five years. I'm 36. I still am in this fucking restaurant business. I hate. Um, and, um, literally I'm rebuilding myself, you know, stop drinking for like 26 days that then started drinking again, didn't like it, then stopped drinking again, but you know, kind of stopped for the last time for now. Um, I hope for the rest, but I, there's no absolutes in life, but, um, but, but rebuilding the mind getting around people that are smarter, better, have accomplished things. So on getting coaching, getting help and so on and so on. I didn't do 12 steps. It's just me. I, to be honest with you, I feel like a year and five months in, I'm doing the 12 steps right now. It's really odd. Um, I just feel like I'm in that place right now. Um, but, but true story. And I would love for you to describe it because you have a better context around kind of what Kaizen did for me and to believe in something so great that I needed that rocket ship, um, to, to rip me out of this comfortable life because I was the top dog at the restaurant. Nobody questioned me. I made decent money, nothing crazy, but I was wildly unhappy, um, working for somebody else. And I just couldn't break the cycle to get out of the restaurant business. Um, because the comfort was so easy, um, because you're getting a paycheck and it's safe. Um, but then I got an opportunity to start a business and, um, you know, it didn't go well, but, but it was the, it was the catalyst to, to, to start a new life, to start a new chapter. And I want to share a story because Chris asked me to share it. Um, cause it meant, it meant something to him and, and, and I haven't shared it with many people. Um, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, so I started the, re- the business and, 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 and we decided to part ways. I haven't even told you the story. Um, we, we decided to part ways and I lost uh, some good money, 20, 20, 25 grand. Um, and for about two days, I just beat myself up. I'm like, you, you know, you tried, you finally got out of the restaurant business. You quit your job, you burned the fucking boats and, and you failed. You fucking failed. You piece of shit. You, you, you're not as good as you think. You should just go back to waiting tables. That's all you're going to fucking be. You're never going to be in the real estate full time. You're never going to do that shit. So this was end of July of last year. Um, and it was our two year anniversary at my previous job, which is a restaurant food hall. I said, look, I'm going to go say hi to everybody. You know, maybe that'll lift up my spirits. I parked the car. I got out. I walked up to the door. I grabbed the handle. I looked inside it has nothing to do with these people. So if you hear this story, it has nothing to do with you. I love all you. I looked inside. I was about to open the door and I said, no, it's not your life anymore. It's not, you're not a restaurant employee anymore. You're going to go figure it the fuck out. You're a restaurant. You're a real estate entrepreneur and this shit, it didn't work and you failed and you lost money, but this is not your life anymore. And you're, you belong here. I went to Costa Rica because it was already planned. And the day before I left for Costa Rica, I had a friend I haven't talked to in three years call me out of the blue. 
offered me a job, private equity in real estate. I don't know. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. Um, it's not about knowing. See, that's, that's where so many of us go wrong. We think we have to know. And the truth is that the more we know for some of us, the bigger the stumbling block, the bigger the obstacle mm-hmm. it is thinking that we know something, thinking that I know, but I know, I know, you know, and I remember the first time I said, man, I don't know anything, you know, and I remember my sponsor at the time, you know, he said, now we can get started. Now we can get started. I think you said that to me. That's, too. <laughs> I'm probably, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> the truth is, that's the truth, man. The minute I think I know some shit, right? Wow, prepare yourself for the hit because it's going to hurt, right? When I am open, when I recognize that I know what I know and I'm grateful for it, that's it. Like I'm grateful for the experiences and the knowledge that I currently have. But if I rest on that, I am in trouble. Mm-hmm. And here's what happens. So many of us, so many of us, I'm going to shift a little bit here. So many of us refuse because we've, we're tainted, we're jaded, we've had a bad experience with spirituality, that we have walked away from it. Okay, I'll take it from here, God, whatever, if there is and is a God. And we're so angry, so bitter, so resentful at ourselves. But of course, we don't see it that way because we're too busy blaming everybody else and playing the victim. But we hold on to that bitterness and anger. And guess what we do? We push God out. We push spirituality out. And we all are meat suits. We all are just, we, we, we've convinced ourselves that there isn't a spiritual, there, there isn't a spiritual connection within us, that we don't have a soul. We've actually, we actually convince ourselves. And at some point, at some point, you make such a dramatic role. And I remember talking to you about this too, which is, was, like you needed that experience with Kaizen to, com- to burn the boats. You needed, you needed the catalyst because if you didn't burn the boats, you'd still be boats to return back to. And that was the burning boat moment that allowed you to recognize that you could do it, that you had, every, you had it within you to make the changes in your life that you needed to make. But more importantly... When I hear a story, when I hear a story where someone's walking towards something, right? They'd actually made it to the event, got out of the car, walked up the stairs, grabbed the handle, and probably right around when you grabbed the handle is when the voice came. And what you just said is funny because as you were listening, I go, well, your higher self was talking to you and you listened. And we all have that. I want to, I'm going to repeat that again. We all have intuition. That intuition is your higher self. You have a choice. That higher self knows a whole lot more than your meat suit will ever know. It's connected to thousands of years of history. Um, Probably getting a little more wooey than most of you would. Yeah, like, I, I was just I, no, I was just we thinking. Might that. Get, hold on, hold on, hold on. We might get a little wooey, but I just want you to know that however you want to look at that, there was a voice that came. 
there was a voice that came that said, no, this is not your life anymore. We have made a decision. You have made a decision. Turn around and get back into your new life. Don't, don't, don't seek the comfortness of where you've been forever and, and, and really accept it. And it, it, it's a hundred, it's, it's the truth, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's so powerful. And I do want to get woo woo for a minute. Cause I don't give a shit. It's my podcast. Good. So, Good. uh, the, you, you know, it's funny. My dad said to me and it's always stuck with me. He said, the reason I didn't share what I needed to share with you for 20 years, cause you weren't in this place to accept it. There you go. And the universe only gives you what you need when you're ready and available. I'll tell you a story. Cause he won't tell you. I'll tell you a story. I don't care, Rob. I'm telling the story. Get over it. Um, <laughs> your life is going to be on blast. So Rob has money. It's not, that's not the issue, but it's in stocks and, and all that stuff. Right. And he hasn't been working. He's getting paid a little bit, but nothing crazy. Okay. And he started coaching with you. This is a true story. He tells me this two days ago. I still can't believe it. You sure you want to tell this story? Yeah, I don't give a fuck. He's my friend. I've known him for 20 years. He can get over it. It's not a big deal. Right. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Right. He's got plenty of money. It's not the, that's not the concern. It's more about the context of the story. So he says, listen, I don't know if I can afford to continue coaching with Omar, but I will when I, this is what he tells me, I will when my job starts back up and I'm getting steady paycheck. So he's made this decision like, hey, I'm going to pay for the coaching. Thank you. This has been great. I'm on the path. But I don't, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back to it. He does a webinar for the clients at his work. And um, he gets a phone call from a guy that he hasn't seen in a while that he services. He, wine, Rob builds wine uh, rooms for clients. And uh, the guy says, I'm going to go ahead and pay you for uh, 2021. <laughs> He's going to pay you for what? He's going to pay him for the next year already. Already sent him a check. For the entire year? For the entire year. And Rob goes, <laughs> Rob goes, no, you're not. And he goes, yes, you are because you've taken care of my family. I care about you. And the reason I'm telling this story is because Rob has walked in this path of self-development, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The world, the universe has opened and guided him to be able to continue this path. And, 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 and I'm like, literally I was like, I had to like stop the car because like he's starting to see, I'm getting woo. -woo he's starting to see what me and you see, what me and you and Brad Johnson and Matty A, my coach and, and all, like when you're available and you've taken the expectations and you don't know where your life's going to go, the world opens up just the way it was meant to the whole life. That is a beautiful story and such a testament to letting go and allowing, allowing. letting go and allowing. And, and, and we're so quick. It's, it's what we're born to do to fight it all. We're the, we're the best Americans are the best fighters ever, but we're fighting ourselves. Yes. Yeah. You're fighting to hold on to shit. You don't even want like, I want to repeat that. You're fighting for shit you don't even want. So many of you refuse to let go of what you want 
in order to allow the things that you deserve to come in. Yeah. And you know what I'm thinking about in this conversation? I'm just going to document it because I'm so happy right now. I have put restraints on maybe things I'll talk about on my podcast or like guests I want to bring on, but maybe I don't feel like I can yet. And through this conversation, I'm realizing I don't give a shit. It's my shit. Take it how you want it. So what I'm going to do, we're going to get real woo-woo on a podcast. I'm going to bring you on and Rick Alexander on, and we're going to talk about what we've done. We don't have enough time to go into the whole story uh, about plant medicine and stuff like that. But I firmly believe that I know you do too. If you're in a place um, willing to accept it, you know, it can really open an entire world for you um, that, that you don't even know exists. And I, I think that there's a lot of people walking around uh, with fake goals, fake dreams, and, and it's not until you do the personal work, the deep work, um, finding out what your why is, you know, if, if your why is $75,000 a year and your boss doesn't bother you and you're happy as fuck, then take it. Like if your why is like mine and you want like seven businesses, that's on me. It's, it's not, why should I be angry at anybody else? But cause that's what I want. But it took me 37, 38 years to not seek validation from others on what I'm doing. And it's not until you can truly set yourself free can you truly be yourself? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the truth because you're, you're setting expectations on you're showing up to a room. Cause I'm the guy that does that. You're showing up to the room on who you think they want you to be. And when you get around people that are comfortable in their own skin, they don't need you to be anything. Amen. Amen. So let's close this thing up. Let's close this thing up. Yep. What are what the listeners want to know, since this is your story, is sure. what was the culmination ultimately that allowed you to come up with the name Construct Your Life? You know, um, the concept for the podcast, the the you So know, it was the, it was something that Mark Crandall said to me. Um, you know, he said, Austin, you know, you're I see you. <laughs> He's like, You're smart, you know, you got your shit together, you're gonna do good stuff. He said, But I, I feel like you're chasing the dollar. I feel like you think you're going to make a hundred grand and you're going to be happy. It's not going to happen until you do the work. And he said, until you start building a lifestyle and not a bank account, you'll never be happy. And so what I implore, the reason I started the podcast, the reason it sits with me, the reason I do it is I'm trying to bring on people that have maybe lost it, maybe didn't, maybe they're just great at what they do, but I'm trying to bring this on to tell you that there's a life out there that, that you've always dreamed of, that you've, that you've wanted, and nothing's holding you back. The only person holding you back is yourself. So what I'm hoping is that, you know, regardless if that's alcohol, work, um, you work for an asshole boss, whatever that is, um, I just want you to construct your life um, that makes you happy. And, and the most important thing I can impart and I'll leave you with is that doesn't involve anybody else's fucking opinion it's not until you wake up and realize that your mom your brother your wife your sister your boss it doesn't fucking matter and i said it really loud that time so you understand because look there's a lot of people that look at my life and go i i don't understand how can you do these businesses and do the podcast and everything how can you train for iron man because it worked for me like and that's it and it wasn't until i realized that that I truly don't give a shit about what people think. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I wanna make people happy, I wanna impact people, I wanna help them, 
but it's not until you truly, I, I give you, Brad Johnson freaks me out with this stuff. He sent me a picture. You ready for this? <laughs> I didn't even tell you this. He said, I'm about to go deep. I'll talk to you later. You ready for the picture? A tree. Let me see. A tree. I'll send it to you. A tree on Hawaii with the sun going down with a 10 foot mirror on the tree. So he's going to sit there. He's going to sit there and meditate and stare at himself for like 30 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I never even thought about doing something like that. I, you know what? We, we say that all the time. I see you and it's so important that other people see us, but do, do you see, I your, see me? Do you see yourself? I don't think yeah. we do. I don't think we no. do. I've, I, for, a couple, no. for a couple, for a couple minutes, for a couple clients, I've done two minutes staring them in the eyes, no words, and they start crying within 20 seconds. So are you truly seeing yourself? So my wish is that from this podcast that you, that you truly start seeing yourself, that you start doing the work. And it doesn't happen overnight, guys. I heard the greatest quote ever. I love it so much. I'm going to use it every day. Get married to the process and get divorced from the fucking results. Ooh, man. You know, it took me, it took you 37 years to get there. It took me 49 years. Took me 49 years and some special medicine to be able to release myself, to be able to release myself from that need for results, the focus on results, and ultimately getting married to the process because the process is all there is. The process is the journey. Yeah. And the journey never ends. No, there's no Rick Alexander. Best quote ever. Austin, we could spend another hour on the phone. There's nowhere to get. Yeah. (laughs) He said, until you realize that we are just wasting time, bro. Uh, God love that man. Dude, I thank you so much. We'll save the plant medicine shit for the next interview. Yeah, That'll much be later. Much later. Uh, I just had my own experience two weeks ago. Um, I don't even care. It was amazing. I love it. I can't wait to do it again. Um, so, dude, thank you so much. I cried like in the first five minutes. I thought I was going to be like longer than that. <laughs> dude, I, I wouldn't want to have wanna ha- anybody else to do this. I know that a lot of people are going to get an impact. So share it review it, whatever the hell y'all do. I don't even care if you share it. Just take it for yourself. Take it for yourself. Listen to it. I know that I'm sending this to five friends the moment we get done with this so they can, you know, take this with them. And I just really thank you so much. I love you, brother. Love you, bud. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on -on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.